You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thursday, August the 3rd. If I sound even more jolly than usual, it's not just because this is the 800th daily episode of this podcast. Yes, the 800th. It's because the skies are clearing at Goodwood. I'm not I'm not going so far as to say it is glorious, but it's certainly not unpleasant. And yesterday's washout was only saved by some brilliant performances, none more so than from Paddington, who extended his winning sequence to seven, six this season. He is only a three-year-old and four straight group ones and earning so many plaudits and so many superlatives from Aidan O'Brien. Not a surprise, but perhaps the plaudits from Ryan Moore, a little more eyebrow-raising, really basically saying this is just about the best I've, writ- uh, I've ridden. Lydia Hislop is, is with me this morning. Um, Lydia, is he worthy Paddington of those plaudits from a from a dispassionate viewpoint. I think he's building up a strong case for it. Uh, I mean, obviously, we haven't long said goodbye to St Mark's Basilica, who was such a brilliant winner winner of the Eclipse, uh, went on to win the Irish Champion Stakes, but he only ran four times. I say only, only, only won four Group Ones as a as a three year old. Um, whereas Paddington and has shown more versatility. Some amounts of facilitator won from a mile to an extended 10 furlongs. I would argue that his very best form um, maybe might be a little bit, the Eclipse win, for example, might be a bit deeper than Paddington's. But Paddington, the, the word that Aidan O'Brien consistently uses about him is unusual in terms of the way he takes his racing, the fact he's putting on weight after his races, how quickly he bounces back he bounces back to himself after running huge. And that has meant I, I suggested to Ed yesterday that they've largely improvised the campaign in response to what they're seeing from Paddington in terms of the vast progress he's made from winning the Irish Guineas going on to the St James's Palace Stakes. Uh, after that, Aidan was talking about the unusual progress prior to the eclipse, hence they went there as well as then coming to the Sussex Stakes. So yeah, he's beginning to build up a CV that shows versatility from a mile to 10 furlongs at the very top level. He's impervious in terms of ground, albeit it hasn't had really fast ground yet, I would note. Um he he handled it handled soft yesterday really well. He's fine in terms of tactics. You can really um, put put him anywhere. Like yesterday he had to make his own running with a, a lack of um, a lack of pace in the race. Otherwise, um, he is being campaigned like the horse that he's most often compared with, and that is Giants Causeway, the Iron Horse. He's being given he's being given a, a punishing three year old campaign on which he is absolutely thriving. Um, and so, and again, I think at the moment, Giants Causeway maybe has, if we're talking pure numbers, might just have the edge on him. Yeah. But you know, Brian said yesterday that he's quicker than than Giants Causeway. He's a different kind of horse. And if they were to go for the arc, and they seem to be thinking of that, he's going to prove himself incredibly versatile. I do not want to um, damn horses that he's been racing against, but I, I did have a look at Giants Causeway's CV uh, and 
yeah, Paddington in many ways has, has done better because he's unbeaten this season and he actually won the Irish 2000 Guineas whilst Giants Causeway was, was second. But when you look at the depth mm. of the races he was winning in midsummer, Giants Causeway, I mean, his eclipse was one of the, the deepest runnings ever. Kalanisi, Shiva, Saki, Fantastic Light were the next few home. It, it's a thin eclipse this year. No disrespect to Emily Upjohn by comparison. And if you look at his win in the Sussex Stakes, he beat you know Dan Silly, who was possibly the unluckiest horse ever not to win a Group 1 race. And Medician, the Eclipse winner, was a, a two-and-a-quarter length third. So you you just feel at the moment with Paddington, there aren't that many good horses to put it up to him. And that's not his fault. No. Uh, the clash with Emily Upjohn was was very, very good. And obviously the two of them were clear. But I, I agree with you. You've just read out Giants Causeway's CV. Yes, he got beaten. I'm... I, you know, I've mentioned before that I don't like the way that, that racing fetishized is an unbeaten record. I think generally it means that you've not run into tough enough opposition if you're being campaigned, that you might be, it says more about your campaign uh, usually than it does about your ability. That's not the case in, in Paddington's case. He he has, he, he has been, he is being campaigned aggressively front foot. But as you say, he hasn't encountered the depth of horses uh, that Giants Causeway had all already encountered at this point in his career and obviously he went on to beat Kalanisi narrowly in the international and that probably will be Paddington's next stop and it'll be interesting to see who he comes up against there Mustardeff being uh, an interesting competitor for him it was interesting I thought after the race that connection seemed reasonably clear by their standards as to where the next step would be and it it seemed relatively unequivocal if you can be relatively unequivocal that it would be the Jumbo uh -huh. International uh, yes, uh, that that seemed to be the next step, provided you know he comes out of this race well, and given his track record on that, you would expect him to do so. What happens next is more interesting. The Irish Champion Stakes wasn't offered by Aidan O'Brien or any of the Coolmore team, I think. Um, I asked Aidan O'Brien about it. He said it was a possibility, but obviously he has horses like August Rodin in the mix um, that he might be thinking of that race for. Um, he was very keen to stress that Australia could be a target and that would be the Cox Plate. Um, I asked him about America and again he said a possibility but I've got other horses that maybe come into the mix for that. Um, and most interesting of all, bearing in mind that arc entry that he had, and you know we're used to seeing a lot of horses of Aidan O'Brien's having these entries in a, over a vast range of distances. He, he does enter a lot early and so when you saw the arc entry next to Paddington's name you wouldn't necessarily draw as much significance from it as you might with other operations. However, um, immediately after the race, it emerged that um, Ryan Moore suggested that, that the arc is a, a per perfectly reasonable target, that Michael Tabor um, had mentioned it as well. And I was unaware of uh, these conversations when I asked Ryan Moore and then Aidan O'Brien about the arc. And the arc is clearly being considered. Well, if you want to back Paddington for the arc right now, you can do so at odds of 12 to 1. Wow, sir. I'd, I'd, I'd have a, I'd have a crack at that. I've got to say, he's so he the he's, international. And then they say, right, we're going to roll onto the arc. He's, he's tough, isn't he? Uh, you know, you wouldn't be worried about the rain coming either. Um, I'm, I suppose that'll put an extra accent on stamina. But um, I also, he, he looked, he looked more straightforward yesterday. I mean, he was holding his head at a, an angle in the closing stages of the clips, a little bit in the St James's Palace stakes. That might just be him. That might just be how he rolls. But. He seemed to be fine having to make his own running yesterday. And the way he dispensed within Spiral, who was, wasn't on the, on the top of her game, and uh, uh, clearly under instructions, Frankie Dettori had bagged the um, stand side rail, but a long way out it meant that they got racing. 
And the fact that uh, Paddington was able to crack her and then just go on and see off Factor Cheval's final challenge in the way that he did you know, is, a, is a huge positive for him. We should mention Factor Cheval. Really great run, I thought, didn't you, for Jérôme uh, Renier? Wonderful run. Jérôme Renier came on the pod a couple of days ago, explained exactly why he was doing this. It's worked out a treat. Off to the QE2. More, more, more immediately, off to the International for Paddington. And, and when, when he gets Mostadaf and Desert Crown in his way, then that's another that's another rung up the ladder if he dispatches them. Uh, you it know, really on, on is a genuinely quick surface. Yeah, it re- it really would be. Uh, and yeah, that, that as I say, that genuinely quick surface, like really fast ground. Paddington is yet to encounter that. Um, I I I suspect he'll be impervious to it myself, but let's see. And you know, obviously, Desert Crown is it was a very special three year old as well. <laughs> the problem is he is the exact opposite of Paddington. He is not taking his racing, whereas Paddington is thriving on it. Desert Crown just keeps picking up these issues. So you know, he's got to turn up. I, I would imagine. He, I would imagine he is trying even Sir Michael Stout's legendary patience. <laughs> I imagine behind closed doors, he he's getting called every name under the sun because he is. He is doing everything he can to to stop himself having a good season. But fingers crossed he'll be back for York. Uh, Lydia, we ought to um, have a side note on Auguste Rodin, um, who ran so badly in the King George. And you asked Aidan O'Brien about that yesterday, particularly in reference to a a report in one of the newspapers. Yes, in The Sun um, earlier this week, a columnist um, had strongly insinuated that Auguste Rodin had broken a blood vessel when finishing tailed off, eased down, last behind Hookham in the King George. So I put it to Aidan O'Brien whether that was the case. And he said no, and not at any time. He talked about the regularity uh, with which his horses at uh, Ballydoyle are scoped. And so he's he's basically stated that August Rodin has never uh, broken a blood vessel or done anything like that. Uh, he was talking about... Um, the flying over and because he was talking about when there are flops they look for common factors and they wondered whether the uh, 2000 guineas and the king george on both occasions in the morning august rodan flew over and whether that is something that he doesn't enjoy you've discussed this early in the week i mean if that's the case it could be quite limiting to where they want to go with that horse bearing in mind international campaigns maybe it's immaturity they're going to be looking further into it and uh, trying to to work out what went wrong but the thing that Aidan O'Brien really wanted to stress was that he was very grateful to Ryan Moore for sensing very early on that there was nothing underneath him um, in the King George and looking after the horse and not getting involved at all in an attritional race with two mature older horses in Hookham and Westover who are who stay a mile and a half and further and were engaged in battle from such a long way out, he reckons that Ryan Moore's early actions have probably helped them get a horse back for the rest of the season. Well, I think it's really quite important to understand or try to understand why Paddington is achieving what he's achieving. Obviously, we know he's in great hands at, at Valley Doyle, but Aidan O'Brien has trained many great horses and he's now putting this horse right into the top echelon of horses he's trained and he's getting all the superlatives from Ryan Moore. We know what a good jockey Ryan Moore is, but he rides plenty of ordinary ones as well. So how has Paddington become what he's become? Well, let's look at his pedigree. It's, a, it's an old uh, Wildenstein family. He's been produced uh, by uh, Ecury de Monceau. He was sold to MV Magna at Arcana uh, as a yearling. And Henri Bozo from Ecury de Monceau joins me now. Another huge triumph uh, for you, Henri. Just, just tell me a little bit about why you believe Paddington has done what he's done. <laughs> 
because he's um, he's been a horse with never never a problem during his early life and he's got a pedigree with as you said it was a bit old but there is a, a lot of uh, talent down under his his, uh, his, his pedigree um, and see uni is also a stallion that I think can produce champions like out of the ordinary so I think um, the combination between a, a good uh, life without troubles and a top class stallion and uh, pedigree with foundation and uh, and then great training makes a makes a difference quite often you hear some of these great trainers interviewed whether it's Fab or O'Brien or whoever it might be Gosden and they'll say well as soon as I got this horse I knew it was good because the people on the farm told me that this was a perfect model and they graded it 10 out of 10 or whatever what were your earliest impressions of of Paddington as a as a foal and as a yearling well, you know, he's, uh, he was a horse that, uh, as I said, had never problems. He had a strong personality. Uh, he required a, a, a strong guy to handle during the prep. Um, but as I said, he was uh, always out of trouble and he was a great worker. So he, he, he showed a sign of, uh, of, uh, of uh, stout and, and, and strongness early uh, over here. And in a in a cult, in a in a good talented cult, do you like to see them being quite alpha, quite quite masculine, quite 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 tricky almost to handle as as a young horse? Yeah, absolutely. But I think you a lot of the yearlings at the time of the year they need to do something else and something more than just grazing. And I think you can see when a horse, as you said, an alpha type. Uh, the way he takes the walk and they enjoy they enjoy the, the preparations enjoy the, the, the walks enjoy the handling and so on and uh, I think it uh, gives you a good idea I mean Sayuni is not exactly going to have been a difficult sell for you because you've had so much success with him already we spoke on this podcast a couple of years ago when Sotsas uh, won the arc another one of your your great triumphs what do you think he he imparts to families, to mares? What do you think he does to these lovely old blue-blooded pedigrees? Yeah, well, I think he mates well with those blue-blooded pedigrees because he brings speed and he brings, physically, he's, um, I think he's, um, he brings a lot of uh, quality. He brings strength and he brings quality. And uh, I think he's a good mating with those uh, uh, classic type families we need a bit of uh, we need a bit of uh, young blood with uh, with strength and uh, with um, with a bit of speed which he definitely brings and and in terms of what you believe this horse is capable of doing i mean ryan Moore was asked the question yesterday i spoke to mv magna and, and aiden o'brien and the idea that he could actually be a horse that ends up in the arc is a is an extraordinarily exciting one you know this pedigree very well is that within the, the realms of possibility, do you think? Yeah, I do think. I mean, uh, we bred Sotsa Spicy Uni out of a Galileo mare who won the year. And um, yeah, I, I think so. I think he's uh, just shown his speed winning over a mile. But uh, uh, on pedigree, uh, he definitely has the, uh, the possibility to, to run in the arc. Yes, it, it, it would make sense to me, yeah. And, and how is this family doing? Is it is there, is there development to come in the, in this family? 
Um, well, we've got the Mary on the farm for Diane Wildenstein, and uh, unfortunately, she didn't go in fall. So we don't have a yearling, but she's got a most uh, fantastic um, filly by... Um, by uh, St. Mark's Basilica. So she's a three-part sister to Paddington and she, she has a lot of, uh, lot of class, works well and a, a lovely filly. And Henri, I, clearly, the, you know, you know that, that this is going to reap benefits for, for everybody concerned from a commercial perspective. But for you as someone who's, who's seen this horse up close from, from you know, the, the, the day he was born, when you watch him win all these Group 1 races and, and carve himself a place in history, what kind of impact does it leave on you personally? Uh, huge. It's, uh, it's a great pride for, for all of us here at Monso, and this is really why we're doing this job, is really being able to live those moments. And, uh, and I think Paddington is, uh, is uh, leaving a, a mark in the history, really, and it's a... It's all the fun of our business. It's not going to to the sales and make big prices. It's really uh, enjoying the the big uh, the big wins with those homebred. Um, I know you're very busy today, and you're showing a lot of people around the farm. I really appreciate you taking some time out. Congratulations again, Henri. Many thanks, Nick. Thank you. All right. Well, that was Henri Bozo from Ecurie exactly. de Morso, and that's another massive triumph for them. You could hear what it it meant to him. And interesting, his comments as well, Lydia, really backing up what we were saying earlier on, that there's lots in the pedigree to suggest that really you can go as far as you, you just about want or dare. Yeah, I, I'm 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 perfectly open minded to it. I, I would love it if he did do that. Um, I, it would it would add another dimension to his his CV um, and it would be doing something different, which is what um, racing fans often uh, thirst for but let's see what happens in the international stakes first because um, that hopefully will be his best test toughest test yet uh, there was an, an interesting bit of byplay in the race where where Frankie Dessori I think unwilling to just hand the race to Ryan Moore tried to kind of make a go of it and make a go for the stands rail on the ultimately disappointing and last in spiral Yes, and I I, I wonder about her I, I don't think she's particularly tough um, I her her damn Starscope ended up not particularly liking racing, and she won less than her talent should have won her. She's produced a horse, Celestan, who also went off the game. Um, she actually was better at the start than she can be. Obviously, she sat in the gates for ages of the QE2 at the end of last year. But she has also, twice before, come out of the gates okay and then basically stopped and needed rousting along. She did that prior to winning the Coronation Stakes so impressively. Um, and she's also done it done it elsewhere. So um, th that, that to me is a, a bit of a concern. She got a bump at the start and ended up being keen this time around. She was officially said by Jonathan Odie Gosden to have been suited by the, the going, which I think is probably probably fair. But I, I, I wonder about her. Um, I wonder whether um, if, you, if you were interested in, in backing her again, just to put a, a punting perspective on it, it might be when she, if she's very, very fresh. It'll be interesting to see what they do with her next. Well, it sounded like from what Frankie Dottori was saying, they're quite keen to just draw a line through yesterday and bash on to Deauville and go to the Jacques Lamarois again. Yeah, well, well, why not? Um, absolutely no, no reason why not. But I have my reservations about her. I don't have any reservations about the two-year-old winner yesterday, Big Evs, in the uh, in the Molecombe Stakes. I've been speaking to his trainer, uh, Mick Appleby, who who promised last night uh, as he was leaving the track together with 
Martin and Chris Dixon, his very loyal owners of the, the horse watchers who themselves had a winner of the last race with Ross Collin, uh, that there would be there would be quite a sizable party. Um, and I think there was. I, I put it to him that that, that might have been the case. This is what he had to say. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Everybody looks a bit jaded this morning. It's surfaced out of bed. <laughs> well, you, you certainly deserved it because your handling of this horse has been has been exemplary. How how anxious were you going into yesterday about about the rain that had fallen? Yes, I mean obviously it was a bit of concern about the ground. Um, and we thought, well, we've got to try on, try on soft ground at some point. Uh, I mean, I think he coped with it, but I don't think it was ideal for him. Um, and he he showed great tenacity and resolution. Has he has he always been a horse that's been a, a generous horse to to deal with? Oh yes, yes, yeah. I mean, ever since we've had him, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very easy to train. It's just, I mean, it's just bags of speed. And would you would you work him with with your best older sprinters? Would you have to work him with your best older sprinters to actually try and try and get a proper piece of work into him? Yeah, I mean, obviously, none, none of the two year olds could live with him up the gallops. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, he works with the likes of um, Russell and Hanaf. And if he's working with a horse like Russell. What's the what's the result normally? Well, he goes just as well as him, which is which is pretty extraordinary for for a two year old. To, pretty good, yeah. two year old, yes, exactly. Um, there was chat yesterday about about sliding him into the into the Nunthorpe with obviously that huge weight allowance, the 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 all age Group One sprint at, at York Seaboard Festival. Is that something that you're keen on? I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think I'm still sitting on the fence a bit. Um, I know the, the owner's very keen to win the Nunthorpe. Um, so I think I think he will be supplemented for it. And oh. then we sort of may, may, maybe look at going to the Breeders' Cup. So that Breeders' Cup juvenile turf sprint, that would be the, the, the race for him there? Yeah. Yes, yeah. So I think... I mean that's sort of in the pipeline now as well. So that's that's perhaps a likely target. He's got a gym crack entry as well and a, a mill reef entry. Obviously they're both over six furlongs. Are you minded to keep him very much to five for the moment? Possibly at the moment, but I mean where he stayed on yesterday in that ground, I mean suggesting he would get a six furlong on quick ground, I would think. And I mean he has got budget speed, so whether he'd want to. Try him over six yet? Um, I, I don't think we would. I think we'd probably just stick it at five at the moment. You've got potential for more success at Goodwood this week. I mentioned Razel. He's a big price in the in the King George Stakes to, tomorrow. Is is the intention to run him? Fifty-fifty uh, at the moment. And we're going to just wait and see what happens with the ground today and tomorrow. If he stays dry and it dries up, then we might be tempted to run. And we'll be drawing the Stewards' Cup uh, later today. Uh, what sort of chance do you give Juan Lepin? I think, it, I think he's got a very good chance on, on his Ascot run. I think if he reproduces that form and the ground does dry up a bit, I think he'd have a great chance. Well, I shall let you continue the celebrations with, with Big Evs yesterday. Look forward to seeing wherever it might be. Mick, thanks so much. Well done. Uh, thanks, Mick. All right. All right, that was uh, Mick Appleby. It was a great win for him, a great win for Big Evs, and he's clearly keener on the Breeders' Cup than he is on the Nunthorpe, though the owner is going to crack on and 
get him supplemented, I suspect. What do you think about that, Lids? Um, well, Jason Hart was on board uh, Big Evs yesterday. Uh, he would have the Highfield Princess um, tie-up, of course, um, and she would be a very lofty rival for Big Evs. I mean, the owner is really keen on it. He's allegedly turned down some really um, quite sizable, incredibly um, sizable offers uh, for this horse. But why not have fun when you get a good one? I was impressed by the fact that this horse who showed such raw speed to win the Windsor Castle was able to use his speed, but in very different circumstances on testing ground um, at Goodwood. He wanted to hang off the, the, the helpful rail, Sandside Rail, but Jason Hart was able to prevent him from doing so in any meaningful way. Jason picked up his second Morecambe as a result of that. Um, it's Paul Blees, uh, Teasdale, rather, isn't it? Paul and Rachel Teasdale, who who own Big Evs under the name RP Racing Limited. And I can understand why they might want to go for them. And I thought, why not? Um, he's He seems to me to be about speed. The thing I really liked him last time, last um, yesterday was how much he battled in circumstances that I think didn't suit him, ideally. Um, and I'm interested about the Breeders' Cup target because Mick mentioned that to me after uh, racing. And by the way, that was Mick Appleby's third Group 3, no, fourth Group 3 success. So really significant in his in his career. Um, he mentioned the Breeders' Cup to me. And I'm, I put, I'm, would ask you, who would have a better knowledge about this, th this race um, and the track that it's at, will it be suitable for Big Fs? You just don't know how he'll he'll go around the bend. It's Santa Anita, so you know you know that the bends are are, are reasonably sharp, um, and uh, you that's that's the big unknown. But he's got gate speed, and I think that's crucial. I think in that race, if you get if you get left behind, you're struggling. Um, and I I would have a go. He is a, he is all out a two year old, isn't he? And I think he is. I think at the moment he is all out a five furlong horse. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I, I, am I wrong to think there's there's um, European gate speed and then there's American gate speed? No, you're not. I mean, and and you know, you've seen it with some of those Wesley Ward horses who've won that race or won races like that. That they're very hard to peg back if they get if they get rolling. But I I, I watched him several times yesterday. Big Evs. He does break remarkably quickly. Well, that's that's a, that's a positive. And why not then? Why not? Um, I I like I like that campaign. I think. Those kind of conditions are going to see him at his optimum more than, say, the Abbey would. And also with the Abbey, you're a slave to the draw bias. Um, the Nunthorpe, I could, the Nunthorpe, I can see. I mean, if 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 Paul Teasdale wins that argument, like you know, why not? Um, uh, they'll they'll have to have somebody else on board. But you know, why not? Well, time now for another update from Galway, whose festival continues this week. Jane Mangan has been there, is there. How are you holding up, Jane? You, you sounded a little bit croaky last time we spoke. How, how, are you, how are you managing the week? Yeah, well, I do sound like a boy, but it's not self-inflicted. If anybody's listening and thinking, oh, she's not, uh, she's not as disciplined as she used to be. Well, no, this is, this is proper um, getting a little bit sick, but uh, we're managing. We're into day four. Uh, so far, so good. Look, Gordon Elliott's Ash Street Meadow put in a huge performance yesterday to win the Galway Plate. 17-year-old rider Danny Gilligan. What a day for him. He's a Galway man. His dad is Paul Gilligan, who had a winner in the last race. It was a huge day for his family. But having been forced in the race last year, obviously, Gordon Elliott just planned back a year in advance that Ashtree Meadow would come back to Ballybrit and he was a well-handicapped horse. He's the first horse, I think, since Clark Camp to make all in the race and authorised Darton sat second 
finished second. So very few horses got into it from behind. And that really set the tone yesterday. But crowds are up, atmosphere is electric, and today is Ladies' Day. So we look forward. But before we look forward, I want to mention, having been on the pod on Tuesday morning, the question was how Sharjah, the 10-year-old Sharjah, would take defences. It turns out he's an absolute natural you would think that he's been doing it all his life and now while we're in the middle of the summer people are thinking anti-post for those big novice chases Sharjah was a pleasure to watch over fences um, today we're going into the Galway hurdle in Ireland if you were to win around three grade ones you would probably accumulate the same amount of money as if you won a single Galway hurdle there's a pot of 270 grand it's Europe's richest uh, hurdle race and uh, I like Merlin Giant I think having watched the way Emmett Mullins trains over the years he's a real target trainer Merlin Giant won over hurdles here last year He's won over hurdles in Fairy House and I think he's been working back from this race ever since. He's got cheek pieces on for the first time and Donna Myler and, and the and the Me family is a familiar it's a familiar combination. They've already been in the winners enclosure this year. A lot of people are talking about Zarak the Brave, the four year old, could it be class uh, over age for him, Willie Mullins and Paul Townend's choice. Um the stats for the four-year-old are not good in this race and his inexperience in this race might be uh, detrimental to his chances. Mohamed Mazi, of course, his owner, um, Edward Waters, won yesterday's Galway plate. Could he make a big Galway double? Keen Quirk takes five off him for Mohamed Mazi. And I pinned Barry Garrity and Davy Russell for their um, selections yesterday. Davy Russell went party central camp, Gordon Elliott. And uh, I think Barry Garrity went Brazil, of course, a horse he'd be very well acquainted with. There's also a listed Phillies race over seven furlongs. You guys are going to be talking about the Nassau stakes. Well, we'll be watching from over here. There's, an, there's a listed uh, Corrib Philly stakes here at 3.55. Dermot Weld, he's had a good, he's had a good uh, week so far, albeit he did get beaten by Paddy Toomey, the two-year-old maiden. But he'll be hoping the visor can work on keep in touch. The daughter of unaccompanied won't have an issue with any ground. We've actually had quite a dry week here this despite the weather forecast, the keep in touch might be just the one in the 355. Thanks a lot, Jane. Um, get some Lemsip down you. I might need something more than Lemsip. <laughs> Jane, thank you very much. Now it's time for today's Whirlpool update with the totes, Jamie Hart. Yes, hello, Nick. It's another great Whirlpool, Dave, and that means there's more value on offer for punters in the UK pitching their minds against the punters all over the rest of the world, Hong Kong, Australia, America. Uh, with so far, the real value is when you're looking for runners that aren't necessarily internationally focused and when you're looking into these big exacts or in trifectables, the exotics as they call them, um, that's where some big value has been. I think every trifecta has overpaid the British TriCast so far over the first two days of uh, Goodwood. Um, I think everyone except for one of the exactors has beaten the, the, the bookies forecast. So do look at those exotics to to really look for value. I think also of the ones today that look early value, um, if you look in the nursery, obviously Gray's Inn is the the big talking horse, you know, 17 pounds well in officially. It's uh, been backed from five to two into nine to four with the bookies, but it's, this morning it's uh, still paying 11 pounds on the, on the whirlpool. I think that has been taken a bit, but it's still well over five to one versus nine to four. Gray's Inn, Thor Hammer Hansen, and Jack Shannon, not the international names of your Ryan Moores and your Aidan O'Brien. So that will be the one I'd be looking for today. And good luck out there getting the value out of today's World Pool. Well, hooray, the sun is out here 
at Goodwood. In fact, it, it's about as nice as it has been all week. It, almost, almost glorious now, just after 10 o'clock. Uh, and it's just a shame, uh, Lydia, that you're not you know, with me in person today and that we were having to record remotely because the familiar reassuring sound of cork out of bottle is about to come your way to celebrate episode 800 of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast and I'm really pleased that Jonathan White from Gusborne is with me alongside our good friend Neil Phillips of course and Gusborne lending their support to this festival and indeed to the beautiful bar that sits uh, just above the, the paddock. How are you enjoying the week so far, Jonathan? Uh, really good, thank you. Um, fortunately, I wasn't here yesterday for the um, unfortunate weather, um, but I was here on Tuesday and really looking forward to it today. It's lovely to see the sun, isn't it? Yeah, very well timed, Absolutely. if I might say. <laughs> You're back. So so how are we, how are we toasting uh, today's episode? Uh, well, first of all, we have a, a bottle of our kind of classic sparkling wine, which is called Brute Reserve. Um, so it's a 2019 vintage. Um, I call it classic because it's most like other sparkling wines or champagnes that you would expect to kind of taste. So it's a blend of the three classic grape varieties produced for sparkling wine, Pinot Meunier, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Now that I did learn on my champagne tour. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. I, was, uh, I mean, what, what, what quantity of... Uh, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Meunier have we got here? What's uh, the ratio? Well, it, cheers. Well, cheers. Uh, so, majoriously Chardonnay. To be perfectly honest with you, I can't quite remember. I can never remember all of the different um, uh, percentages that go into the blends because we, we only produce vintage wines at Gusborne. So, of course. every wine that we produce um, has its own kind of unique character. So, I think at the moment we have about 40 different blends. So, it's always a nightmare for me to try and keep my head on everything on top of everything in terms of volumes of uh, grape varieties that are going into each of them. Yeah, and I'm ju- just, just so people understand, when you say you only make uh, vintage or you only produce vintage yeah. uh, wines, it means that you are only ever using grapes from one year in your. In your in your bottle, there are not it is not blended grapes from different from different years. Absolutely right. Yes, that's that's correct. So the the, the reason why we do that it, it's not uncommon um, for Champagne and other English producers to create vintage wines. They typically each um, producer will have one as part of their range, but they only choose certain years to release that vintage wine. But for us, we we believe that we have kind of this wonderful uh, climate in the UK now and fantastic vineyards and fantastic terroir, which enables us to ripen the fruit fully every year and and actually for us we want to tell the unique story of every year so each wine that we produce has a unique sense of time and place and that's really important to us in terms of telling that kind of gospel story and I think it's really interesting here because you're actually what you're doing with vintage only as well because that's that's very different to lots of other English sparkling producers isn't it and the other the other thing is as well is and we'll get the other we'll get the Blanc de Blanc open in a minute as well sure. but the but the the fact you've got vineyards right near the racecourse here in West Sussex and in Kent and just the difference in what you get from West Sussex and Kent as well? Yep, so again, we're, we're, we're one of the few um, producers in England who celebrate the fact that we have two vineyard sites, as, as you rightly say, Neil. So um, the vineyard just over the way, actually bordering the edge of the Goodwood Estate, over towards the east um, of, of the Goodwood Estate in a little place called Earthen. We have about a third of our vineyards planted here, so about 30 hectares. Um, the, the soils here in Sussex are typically chalk-based, right. whereas in Kent they're typically clay. Um, we, we grow all three grape varieties on both sites, but the, 
what we kind of really enjoy about having those two sites is the different styles of fruit that, that you can harvest from each of them. So in Sussex you tend to get uh, richer bodied fruit um, with lots of energy and drive and, and that's what kind of gives the wine its kind of voluptuous kind of The character. actual grape yes. will appear differently even if you grow the same variety of grape in two different places. They, they, tend, to, they, they, they tend to look slightly different um, and the flavour that you get from them is very different, yes. Um, in, in Kent, the soils are typically clay-based. Yeah. It's typically warmer. There's typically more sort of sunshine hours in Kent. Um, it's, it's kind of the Garden of England for a reason, I suppose. Um, but we, what we tend to get from Kent, therefore, is richer, riper, more concentrated fruit, slightly more kind of character. So what you should see, certainly on the Blanc de Blanc, which is a blend of, of fruit both from Sussex and from Kent, is that you get real drive um, from, from the Sussex fruit, but then this lovely kind of rich acidity that comes through, followed by the lovely um, lemon zest and, and fruity character, which is that kind of Kent fruit in the yeah. back palette. So this is the, the, the Blonde de Blanc we've just opened now. So Thank this, you, is, this is just a Chardonnay grape. Correct, yes, yeah, so this is 100% Chardonnay. Um, all, all grown here in England um, from, from our two sites. Typically, um, there would be about sort of thirty percent of fruit grown here in Sussex, um, and the rest from. from now I like that, and I would normally say I would have preferred the uh, Blonde Noir to the to the Blonde Blanc. Yeah, so it's interesting. But I, but I like this. I like this very much. It's fantastic wines. I think for us, it's our what we kind of I suppose hang our hats on. It's our signature wine. Um, We've we planted majority Chardonnay across both of the sites, so of course Chardonnay is very important to us in, in all of our blends, and, and none more so than with the Blanc de Blanc. Um, for us, it's, it kind of it celebrates really what Gusborne's all about. So our vineyards in Kent um, are right next to the Romney Marsh, overlook the Romney Marsh, which um, for kind of historians among us will know used to be actually kind of the sea and the seabed. So that kind of lovely, minerally, salty sort of texture that's in the soil um, is able to kind of drive through now into the fruit that's grown on it. Um, with fruit, fruit that's how it sounds saltiness to Yeah, it, it does. It? I, mean, yeah. The, I think this is a beautiful wine. It's 2017, and bearing in mind it still tastes absolutely as fresh as anything. Well, you can certainly keep that for a while, that's for sure. It's, um, it's more than worthy of toasting a, a landmark episode. Jonathan, thank you. <laughs> thank you Cheers, very much. Nick. And as ever, Neil. Congrats uh, on your 800th episode. Fantastic. All right, thank you to, to Neil, to everybody today. Lydia is still with me and has a tip um, for us. Yes, I'm going tomorrow. Is that all right with you? Yeah, you go whenever you like. Uh, the opening race at Goodwood, which is the, the two and a half miler. Um, I'm interested in the course specialist, Agagio. He's obviously unproven at the trip. You know, most horses would be unless they've run in this or similar races uh, like the Ascot Stakes before. Um, but he, we know he likes the track. He's a strong stayer at two miles. He handles a variety of going. He's usually very reliable. He just missed the break last time and got moved up a bit too quickly. So I think he can throw out the last run. The run prior to that, he chased home Courage Mon Ami. And uh, obviously that was a, a pretty decent performance. He, you know, he, he tried to take him on for the front on that occasion. So I, um, I, I, I like, the, like that performance from him. I think he's still got some improvement left in him. So it's a gaggio for Gary Moore and Reese Clutterbuck in the opening race tomorrow, Friday, the 150 at Goodwood. All right, Lydia, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. That was Thursday, August the 3rd, episode 800. We'll be back with 801 tomorrow. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.